Good evening, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Uh, welcome to Between Meals Video Podcast. I am Pastor George Gray, your host. And uh, tonight we're going to be doing a couple of things. I've been gone for a few weeks. Uh, I was sick for a little while, and then there was some vacation, so took a little bit of time off, but that's okay. If you're going to be here tonight, pop me a message. Let me know you're here. Uh, I'd love to know people if people who are if people are on, and um, I've got a couple of things I want to talk about before I get going on tonight's uh, tonight's message. Hey, Christy, how you doing? <laughs> Funny, I just saw you earlier. Um, so here's here's kind of what's going on tonight. So we're kind of back at the uh, uh, um, back in the helm, so to speak. And what I want to be doing um, over the next few weeks is my plan is to go through a number of the arguments used and taught by what is known as the progressive Christian movement. Um, Now, as we're going through this particular topic, you're going to hear me talk about things like progressive Christianity, you're going to hear me talk about the emergent church, and you're going to hear me talk about new age spirituality like they're the same thing. Those terms are going to be interchanged quite a bit. Hey, everybody, good to see you. Peggy, Sarah, good to see you here tonight. And uh, so the reason why I'm talking about them as though they're interchangeable is because they really are. They're, what we're going to find out as we go through is that this is very, very much the same movement, um, just packaged in a slightly different way. Um, they, each of them vary slightly in their application. You know, the, uh, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation and New Age spirituality uh, apply things a little bit, uh, just slightly differently. But it's essentially this is the same argument as progressive Christianity. It's just packaged a little bit different. Um, now, also, I want to let you know that tonight, I'm doing tonight live, um, and this is going to be the last live um, uh, of the uh, of the Between Meals. What I'm going to be doing in the future is recording these ahead of time and then posting them. They'll be posted Wednesday evenings, um, and they'll be posted on Facebook and on YouTube, so they'll, they'll all still be there. And the, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm doing that comes down to time. Um, I only have so many hours in the day, and sometimes it can be difficult to kind of move things around. Uh, and what I found out when, uh, just from looking at the analytics is that by far uh, more people watch the videos as we're going through than are actually in, in the live. I love having the live interaction. I love being able to see you guys' comments and see who's here. Um, but the, the, the lion's share of people, and, and by this I mean like – well over, you know, a hundred times more um, people watch the the the, uh, the recordings afterwards and are actually able to be here for the live. And it's a it's a, it's a scheduling thing. I get it. It's no big deal. Um, but I want to uh, be able to spend a little more time with the videos, adding some things to them, um, doing some doing some different stuff with the editing, and and hopefully make it more engaging for you guys on, on that side. So that's kind of going to be happening. So if you're here tonight, um, it would be great if uh, you want to comment, if you want to ask questions, if you want to toss something out there. It would be really great because this is going to be your last opportunity to do this in the live setting. I may do some different live ones as we get going, depending on what the topics are. Um, um, and if I do uh, interviews, hopefully those will be live as well. Um, we're we're looking. I got trying to get some people scheduled for the uh, uh, for the coming months. It should be a lot of fun. Um, that way, you're not just listening to me. Uh, I want to get other people involved in these in these conversations. So that is what's going on. Um, uh, <laughs> Christy just asked, "What flavor M and M's are those behind you? Those are peanut butter M and M's, which are the best type of M and M's. Not to be confused with peanut M and M's. This is peanut butter." So they've already chewed the peanut for you. See, it's 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 very very convenient, um, and and far more nutritious, right? Yeah, probably not. Anyway, that's that's what's going on there. Thank you for the question, Christy. Uh, so we are uh, so we're moving on through here. So some of the names, uh, 
<laughs> so some of the names uh, that you're going to hear me using as we go through this conversation uh, are people like Richard Rohr, uh, Rob Bell, Bill Johnson, Brian Simmons, Sid Roth, Todd White, Andy Stanley. Um, these are the people who are, are are more commonly connected to this particular movement, um, and you'll you'll begin to see why as we go through. Um, it's these arguments and and these topics are much easier to uh to understand as you examine the teachings uh and there's there's a few different reasons for that so the first things first we want to we want to be able to define what we're talking about so what is progressive christianity um why do we need to know about it why do we care isn't isn't this just like a denominational thing does it does it really affect us well it it really does and let me do a couple of quick things here uh there we go um so when we're talking about uh progressive christianity if you're looking for a universally agreed upon definition, um, you're not going to find one. Um, progressive Christianity, it, it changes depending on the group that you're associated with. There, there are many very, very common traits, but it, it morphs back and forth, unfortunately, um, which gives you the idea that it's, it's, uh, uh, it's not a decided on uh, process yet. Their theology is very, very loose, uh, depending on the group that you're talking about. So basically what happens is, the 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 term is usually defined by describing the teachings and its beliefs in comparison to historical or biblical Christianity, and that's what we're going to do. So it, it's easier to understand what they what who they are and kind of what they believe if you compare them to what we know as historical biblical Christianity. So one of the best descriptions that I have found of them from people outside the group actually comes from a guy named Fred Osborne. Or Frederick Osborne. Uh, and basically he says this. He says their theology is a mixture of ancient Gnostic mysticism, New Age pseudoscience, and a quest for, for personal superabundant spiritual power masquerading, uh, in the church as spiritual ministries. Uh, now the funny thing is he actually wasn't talking about, uh, progressive Christianity when he was talking about this. So when he wrote that, he was actually, it actually comes from this book right here. Um, don't, don't mix up the title. The title is actually The Theology of the New Apostolic Reformation, and this book is actually a refutation of this book. And you guys have, if you've been around for a while, you've seen me talk about this. This is some of the, some of the New Age teaching associated with Bethel Church Reading, um, and some of the craziness that you see in that. Uh, if you haven't seen that, go back to the series of pagan and Eastern mystic practices in the church, and that will kind of help you understand kind of what's going on there. Um, so he actually wrote that in relationship to the NAR, not necessarily uh, progressive Christianity, but the term fits because it's it's the same basic pursuit, just with a couple of different variations. Um, now, I also went to uh I decided to see if they actually had a website and they do they they have a website progressivechristianity.org um and on that website I found this beautiful little piece of literature here this is the eight points or pillars of progressive christianity according to this particular uh website <clears throat> they have a lot of members and apparently a lot of people go back and forth here Ah, yes, I had, I got my sarcasm juice on for tonight, so we should be in good shape. So, um, so what ends up happening <coughs> when I, <coughs> I wanna, I wanna read through these and then we're gonna analyze the first three of them and you'll understand why here in a second. So, uh, number one, the first pillar was to believe that following the path and teachings of Jesus can lead to an awareness and experience of the sacred, of the, of the sacred and the oneness 
and unity of all life. Doesn't that sound so like heartwarming and good? It makes you tingle all over. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, it sounds so good. Remember that word can, that following the path of the teachings of Jesus can lead you. So number two, affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life, and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey. That just sounds so accepting, doesn't it? That we can, we can, you know, all roads, all roads. Uh, and then the third one says, seek community that is inclusive of all people, but not limited to, including but not limited to, conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, women and men, those of sexual, of all sexual orientations and gender identities, those of all classes and abilities. It's, again, it sounds so inclusive, you know, like we want to talk to all of you, uh, but that's actually not just what they're talking about. Um, so know that the way we behave towards one another is the fullest expression of what we believe. And you know what? I can get behind that. that that's completely completely consistent with Christianity. Uh, what we, what, how we behave towards another one is the fullest expression of what we believe. We should live what it is that we that we preach. Uh, number five says, uh, find, gr- find grace in the search for understanding and believe there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. Oh, so now we start getting into the actual teachings, that there is more value in questioning the Bible than there is in believing that the Bible is absolutely true. You see, it can't be absolutely true because all roads, right? All roads, everything leads to to, to salvation, right? Number six is strive for peace and justice among all the people. Again, that is a biblical concept. As far as it is for you, do your best to live in peace and harmony with all people. I have no problem with that. This is this is good. So we got two. <laughs> we got two. Uh, strive to protect and restore the integrity of our earth. Okay, so now we're getting into the social justice climate climate change crowd here. And number eight, commit to a path of lifelong learning, compassion, and selfless love. Again, this is a completely, completely valid statement. So out of the eight, three of them, not bad, not bad. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to take a look at the first three, and let's really take a good look at these and figure out what it is they're teaching. So this idea, believe that following the path and teachings of Jesus can, can lead to an awareness, can. We see, it's not the only one, right? Now, if we were to follow the teachings of Jesus, wouldn't that mean that you would also have to agree that what Jesus said about himself, morality, about his own person, about morality in in, in general, or about sexuality in general, and everything else that he taught would be something that we should follow. You see, believe that following the path and teachings of Jesus can. Now, wouldn't it, be, it would just make sense that what Jesus said about himself, what he said about morality, what he said about sexuality, all these things are things that we should follow. But they toss that qualifier in, can. Not that it does or should or how you should be attached to that. Because remember, as we learn below, that questioning is more valuable than absolutes, right? So Jesus can't be absolutely right. He's just got to be right some of the time. 
how they call this Christianity, progressive or not, is, is, is beyond me, but, but they do, and people are eating this thing up. They are just devouring this. This is, this is permeating the church faster than anything else, and it's actually very terrifying. Uh, so point number two, remember said, oops. Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> I hit the wrong button. So point number two said affirm, now to affirm means to publicly acknowledge uh, that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways. Uh, it's, you know, all roads. So we're back to that same thing. See, what this does, this gives you permission to simply dismiss anything that Jesus ever said about anything and grants you to per- the permission to go and find another way that suits your personality better. So you know what? If you still want to go to heaven, you still want to be forgiven of your sins, you still want to find personal sanctification and personal justification that will grant you access to eternity and heaven that's okay if if buddhism does it great if hindu hinduism does it great if you need to mix christianity buddhism hinduism gnostic gnosticism and witchcraft together to find your path great you should do that that's what this is saying now this is what's known as panentheism Okay, panentheism. This is not to be confused with pantheism. So I need to need to define these two because we're going to be going back and forth between these in these various conversations. So pantheism is the idea that all is God, that God is physically everything. My desk is God. Uh, I am God. My camera's God. The, the microphone's God. My coffee cup is God. The coffee in the coffee cup is God. I don't know if I can really argue with that one because it has saved my soul many, many times. Pat, good to see you here tonight. Um, so that's, that's the, the, the idea that the universe itself, the physical universe itself is actually the manifestation of God. Now, panentheism is close to it, but there's, there's a caveat there. So it's, it's the idea that God is in everything, but also outside of everything and bigger. So God is, is timeless. He's, he's immaterial. Um, so he's, he's, he's outside of everything, but in everything at, at the same time. And what that essentially means is that all belief systems, no matter what it is, atheism, agnostic, whether or not you believe in child sacrifice or anything else, anything you believe it all comes from the same source, and therefore it is just as valid as any other belief system, as long as you're true to it. So essentially, there is no such thing as sin. There is no such thing as right or wrong. There's no such thing as absolute morality or anything like that. It's just, it's not truth. It's your truth. You probably heard that expression a lot. It's what's true to you, not necessarily what is just true which is why this is so um, seductive. When people really like that, they can make their own their own idea of what truth is, which is completely wrong um, in the eyes of biblical Christianity. So um, in Richard Rohr's book, The Universal Christ, uh, which, by the way, is, is right here, I will be doing a book review on this. Um, in the, uh, probably in a, in a month or so, I want to make sure I have a good, good, good amount of time to go, th- to go through it and make some notes. Um, hopefully, um, maybe even, you know, so uh, for those of you who are watching live here tonight, um, if you're interested in, uh, reading that book and actually sitting down and doing a group conversation about that, talk to me. I'm, I, I might be interested in that. Um, just, just, just let me know. Maybe we can, we can talk about that. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what, ha- we'll see what's happening. So, um, what he does is he takes this idea of of Christ in everything just a little bit deeper than other people. <laughs> Scott and Cindy, how you doing? Are you guys watching while you're driving or are you in a hotel for the night? I'm just curious. 
So this is a fun part about being live. Now, I'm, I'm actually going to miss this because you know you get to you get to to, to talk with people. So um so here here's what he does. So he takes this idea of the universal Christ and he actually takes it a step further. And what he claims is that the Christ is different than Jesus. Okay, I'll I'll expound on this just a little bit more, but I want you to hear it from him. Here's a little video clip for you. As many of you know who've listened to my stuff, most Christians were never told that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in two different things, right? Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. The Christ has existed since God decided to materialize 14.6 billion years ago. The Christ mystery is the mystery of matter and spirit coming together. That's the big bang. That's the birth of the Christ. So, you think about this. He believes that Christ is the universe, but Jesus was the man, okay? Christ was the universe, Jesus was the man. Now, that might sound weird to you, but don't worry about it, because remember, just like we learned about before, that the good news is no matter how utterly idiotic these this stuff sounds— who cares? Just move on to a different teaching because, you know, all roads lead to lead to eternity, right? See, the idea here is that the teachings of Jesus are but one of many ways, according to this to this theology. But the problem is, does that actually line up? Now, if you're not familiar with Richard Rohr, he is a Franciscan monk. Um, he's part of the Catholic Church. But he 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 basically, uh, in, in his own writings, what you'll find is he actually does not adhere himself to the tenets of the faith. Uh, he uses the the, the Catholic uh, the Catholic theology and the, and the the lifestyle of a Franciscan for himself, he sees it as his path, but not the only path. So what he has done is he has created this this extensive theology. He's one of the the big proponents of the of the Enneagram, uh, and he he basically has has been moving this thing forward. And it's 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 very frightening to think that this guy is actually part of an organized church. But he denies any authority of the organized church, and he denies the authority of the text that is supposed to guide that organized church, which is the Bible. He denies all of the authority of that because it doesn't matter. It's only one path. It might be the path that he has chosen, but you know what? Next week, he might be an agnostic. It doesn't make any difference because, it, according to him, it all leads to the same place because Christ is the universe, but Jesus was just the guy that walked the earth. So there's really no big deal about Jesus. Christ is the real is the real important thing. So it's it's really crazy. Now, if you think about this, um, you think about this in terms of Romans one twenty. Uh, through 23 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, attributes have been clearly seen, being understood by things that are made. Uh, even his eternal power and Godhead, Godhead meaning three, right? The, the three in one, uh, so that they are, they are without excuse. I mean, all you have to do is look around and you can, and you can see the reality of, of, uh, of God and the way God has structured things. So because, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Isn't that interesting that we're reading that and now we're just hearing from a guy who basically wants to take all the authority away from God. He knew God, but he does not glorify him as God. Nor were we thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man 
and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Basically, what, what Paul is saying here is there are people who are going to take the understanding of God and the universe that's around us and, and the world that he has created, and they're going to bend this thing to the point where it doesn't even resemble God anymore. It resembles something that is more palatable to man, and that is exactly what we're seeing because the, at the heart of progressive Christianity is us. It's our value. It's our strength. It's our ability to save ourselves. It's really got nothing to do with Christ. It's a sad, sad existence. So, and remember that third one is to seek community that is all that is inclusive of all. So that's that third point: uh, to seek community that is inclusive, inclusive of all. Now, in order to avoid being um, put in YouTube and Facebook jail by, by the algorithms, I'm going to keep the obvious discussion of biblical sexuality to myself, uh, but I think if you've known me for any length of time, you already know where I stand on that particular subject. So instead, what I want to do is I want to compare these three points, starting with this one, to, uh, uh, to uh, we're going to compare them against the Bible. Excuse me for stuttering there. So if you think the idea of a community that is all-inclusive, it sounds great, doesn't it? Christianity should be inclusive. We should be welcoming to all. Isn't it that God accepts us exactly the way we are? God, God takes takes me as I am, just as I am. I mean, isn't that one of one? Isn't that that, uh, that popular hymn? Uh, but you think about this in the age of social justice. Being inclusive is something that everyone wants to be a part of. So this idea is is very seductive. Of course, I want to be involved with an organization that's going to be inclusive of all. But see, there's just a problem with that, and that problem actually comes from the Bible itself. Matthew 10, 34 through 39, reads like this. Do not think, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be of his own household. A man's enemies will be of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his, take, uh, take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Think about that just for a second. We, you get this idea that we want to be part of a community that accepts all, and Jesus here is, is saying very plainly, I'm going to divide you from the rest of the world. Now let's make sure we understand this. This is not permission to be a judgmental jerk. And that is not that is not our goal as Christians. That's not what we should be doing. Should be nothing that we should be striving for, okay? <clears throat> we should be accepting of people as they are, as they come to the Lord. But... Uh, what Jesus is doing here is he is simply letting us know what the social implications will be when we begin to follow him. When we begin to follow Christ, there are implications. There, There is a price to pay for following God, okay? Following him will set you apart, needfully so, from the world around you. It is going to make you incompatible with many lifestyles. That's not because we're better. It's not because we're above. It's because we have been changed. See, you, you got to remember that that all human life is broken, is separated from God. When we come back to God, when we accept the lordship of Christ, and we start following in his teachings, 
That makes us different. It will automatically put us on a different road that is incompatible with a large portion of the world because a large portion of the world isn't, isn't going to want anything to do with God. We have to be okay with that. Not okay that, that, you know, that we're set apart. We have to be okay that maybe they're just not ready to accept this yet. And we can't be judging them, you know, constantly for the, for the sin in their life. We need to just be okay that that's where they are right now. And eventually the right person will come along. If we pray for them, if we, if we, if we hang in there, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, God can still reach that person. They're not lost forever until they're, until they're gone. Till their physical body has left them. Ashley, good to see you here this uh, this evening. Tina, good to see you here this evening. Um, so this tends to offend people's sensibilities, and and as Christy just put in the comments, it's very difficult to to accept sometimes, and it can be it can be very saddening because in in reality, some of you you know some of your parents, your kids might not be going to heaven. Some of your your brothers and sisters might not be going to heaven. You know, some of our mothers and fathers and grandfathers and, and, and grandmothers, uncles and aunts and cousins, some of them might not be going to heaven. Not because of anything you've done, but because of the choice that they've made. This is just the reality of the world that we live in. Christ came to bring us to him. <clears throat> People today want a God that embraces diversity. They want a God that is willing to accept everyone just the way they are. Um, and then give them all the benefits of grace and all the benefits of eternal life and all the benefits of forgiveness and, and, and let them into heaven without asking them to change anything in, in their life or anything about themselves or correct any of their behaviors. They just want free grace. The truth is the gospel message, which is the good news, is open to everybody, anybody is welcome to come to the gospel. Anybody. It doesn't make any difference. The gospel is open to all. Salvation, think about this. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, the gospel is open to all. However, it is not. the gospel is not here so that it can be changed to fit your lifestyle. The gospel is here so that it can change you and bring you more in line with Christ. See, you're not going to change the gospel. The gospel is supposed to change you. That's the trade-off. So the gospel is the good news, and the good news is that you can be saved. Think about this. The good news is that you can be saved. Salvation is the result of both repentance and grace. We repent and receive grace, okay? So you think about this. Grace is the free gift of God. But grace has a cost. Grace is not cheap. Grace has value. Check out this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you're not familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor, um, a martyr, and a spy during World War II uh, in Nazi Germany. He ended up being martyred for his for for his work. Um, but this is uh, this is one of one of his quotes. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor, theologian, martyr, and spy, was asked in 1943 how it was possible for the church, the church in Germany. To sit back and let Hitler seize absolute power, his firm answer, it was the teaching of cheap grace. This is how he described it. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. 
baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. I love this little ad in the bottom. We live in a time and culture that not only teaches cheap grace, but praises it. We want cheap grace, but grace is anything but cheap. Grace literally cost Jesus his life. True repentance, and I mean true repentance, is what happens when we become aware of our sin. Please listen to this. It's what happens when we become aware of our sins in the light of God's righteousness. It's not just a matter of knowing you're doing something wrong and then deciding not to do that wrong thing anymore. It's when we become aware of our sin in the light of God's righteousness. Then we make the conscious choice to turn away from our sin and live according to the teachings of Christ found in the scriptures. Okay, There is no other way to explain this. Um, When we... When we come to terms with with our faith, it is not simply being aware of your sin, okay? Being aware of your sin is great. Anybody stealing, all these looters that you see on on TV breaking into these stores because, you know, they're they're so upset about everything, they've got to steal TVs and shoes. It's the only way they're going to make themselves feel better. They are completely aware of their sin. They're absolutely aware of their sin, Nothing in their life has changed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Being aware isn't enough. Even being aware that Christ is, that, 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 that Christ is a reality, that, there, that Jesus was real, that he walked the earth, that he is our only way of salvation, being aware of that is not enough. Let me prove it to you. The devil knows that Jesus was God's son. He is completely aware that Jesus came to earth and, 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 and stepped out of heaven, came to earth, walked as a man, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. Satan is completely aware of that. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. Think about this. God will take us as we are, but he is not going to leave us this way. That's cheap grace. God is in the business of changing you. His goal is to change who you are from the inside to make you more like him. That's God's goal. He'll take you just as you are, but he's going to change you. He, you know, This alone makes the idea of an all-inclusive community impossible. I, I, I say this to the church pretty, pretty regularly that when... When we're during a church service, anyone from any walk of life is welcome into the church. But I'm after you. I'm 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 after you to change you. I'm after you to bring you into a closer walk with God. I'm not interested in just getting to know you where you are and then leaving you there so you end up in hell just the way you are. I'm interested in bringing you closer to God, helping you understand who Christ is and what His teachings are, so you change. So you become more like him. That's what I'm interested in doing. That's what the church is supposed to do. A church that does not challenge you to realign your life with the teachings and examples of righteousness found in the scriptures is not a church. It's a social club. 
it has no eternal value to those that are attending. Learning about Christ does nothing if you don't change your life, if you don't walk in his ways. If Christ is not your king, then heaven is not your destination, and salvation and forgiveness is not something that you've received. Christ has to be your king. We confess the lordship of Christ. Confess, just confessing his deity. Yeah, 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 Jesus is the son of God. That's great. That's wonderful. Has it changed your life? That's the issue. So there's that point number, just that point number three, how, how crazy that is all by itself. The idea of an all-inclusive community is fantastic, but from the church perspective, we can't exist there. You don't just get to come to church and be a sinner forever. That's never the goal. Our goal is to change you. So what about points one and two? Points one and two are basically the same thing. They, they tell you that they want you to follow the teachings of Jesus, but don't don't get too hooked up, uh, too hooked on them because there, there's other there's other ways, right? There's other other roads. All roads lead to heaven. <coughs> no, they don't. Actually, they a lot of roads lead straight to hell, and that's just kind of the way it works. Now check this out. To answer that question, I, I think it's best to just let Jesus answer that 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 point for us. Okay, so in John fourteen verse six, it says. Uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to the next part. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. So let, let's go back to that first part to, to, to understand that, that following the teachings of Jesus can lead you, can lead you. No, see, the teachings of Jesus is that he's the only way. He's the only way. It's not that he can. He does. He will. If you follow in his footsteps, he will. But that's not what they want you to see. They want you to see something a little bit different, which is just really, really sad. Now, how about this next one? John 10, 1. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up over some other way is a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber. Jesus is talking about, I am the gate. Uh, if you go down to verse, uh, verses uh, 7, 8, and 9, Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, most assuredly. This is Jesus' way of saying, I ain't kidding. I ain't kidding. What I was just saying, I ain't kidding. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door. I, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them the ones who are really going to be following. I am the door. You know that I is singular? I. He didn't say we. He said I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out, uh, and will go in and out and find pasture. So according to the words and direct teaching of Jesus, there is only one way. Only one way, and that's him. So in order to follow the teachings of Jesus, you have to first acknowledge that there is no other way but Jesus which completely negates both points one and two. So it's not that he can, he will, and there is no other. It's just him. There's no other way but him. <clears throat> now, as far as Richard Rohr's panentheistic ideas of this cosmic Christ and the human Jesus, um, the Gospels actually take care of this nonsense as well. Now, ironically, the passage I'm about to read, read to you, John 1, 1 through 14, Richard Rohr actually uses this in his book to try to justify his view that Jesus is just creation or that Christ is just creation and Jesus is just a man. 
See, the man Jesus is good, but that's not big, not, not, not that important. It's the Christ that's the universe that's the important part. That, that's what he tries to get at. So if we, as we're reading through this, think about what we're reading here. Uh, good point, Teresa. What about the people who were born before Jesus and weren't aware of these things? This is you see how how crazy this becomes uh, uh, suddenly. So in uh, in John one verses one through fourteen, it reads like this: It says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God." Okay, so Jesus is the Word, correct? This is what this is saying. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so. Father God, Jesus is also God, but Jesus is God the Son. So he, meaning Jesus, was in the beginning with God. So follow the the, identif- the identifiers in here, who Jesus is and, and how this is walking through. So he was in the beginning with God. So Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus. And without him, Jesus, nothing was made that was made. In him, Jesus, was life, and and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So we're talking about the light of Christ, the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came uh, for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him, small h, might believe. He was not that light, capital L, that light, meaning Jesus, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That um, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. It's talking about salvation through Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Both of those are pointing to Jesus. And the world did not know him. Again, this is Jesus. He came to his own. Okay, so he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Okay, so let's let backtrack here for a second. The Jesus who was in the beginning with God, who was the Word, who was the instrument of creation while God was 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 the was in the process of creation, he was there. He same Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Same Jesus, not two Jesuses, the same Jesus. But as many as received him. Then he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his same Jesus name, who were born not of the, uh, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This goes back to John chapter three, when we, uh, in, in forward that you need to be reborn of the spirit, right? Okay. So God does that, does that work. And the word, the word, which was in the beginning with God, right? That was Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So twice in this passage by itself, we, we have it affirmed the same passage that Richard Rohr tries, tries to use to separate Christ and Jesus. Two times so far, we have it in this same section where the same Jesus that was in the beginning with God was the same Jesus that walked the earth as a man. You can't have it both ways. It can't be two of them. Jesus doesn't have split personalities. He doesn't have a cousin or a brother. It's just him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten, the Father, full of grace and truth. There is only one path. There is only one Savior. The same Jesus who was present at creation that stepped out of heaven, became a man and walked among us, died on the cross of Calvary, rose from the grave so that those who would receive him as Lord and Savior could become children of God. 
there is only one Savior. Now, the even just to just to ratchet up the craziness, we'll deal with this a little bit a little bit more in detail as we get as we get down the road. Richard Rohr doesn't actually believe that the cross of cross of Christ was about salvation or atonement. He actually completely rejects the doctrine of atonement at all. The way he says it is, why does God need a blood sacrifice in order to love something that he created? That's the way he looks at it. The term that you'll hear used by a lot of progressive Christians is cosmic child abuse, that God would never send his son to die to pay for the sins of others. Here's the problem with that. Um, he did. He actually did. But here's a quote from Richard Rohr from his book. This is on page 33, and this is what he says. He says, isn't that ironic? The point of the Christian life is not to – pay attention to this – is not to distinguish oneself from the ungodly, but to stand in radical solidarity with everyone and everything else. Radical solidarity. Okay. Um, This is the full, final, and intended effect of the incarnation – symbolized by its finality on the cross, which is God's great act of solidarity instead of judgment. This is what he's teaching here, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not to atone for our sins. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was to show us that we needed to put our selfishness to death. That, that God is standing with us side by side, all inclusive, all in one, because all roads lead to heaven. So Jesus died to show us that we needed to put ourselves to death. That's the basic idea. See, it's not about atonement and forgiveness of sin, because sin would mean that you did something wrong. And, and see, because all belief systems track back to the same source, see— Whatever you believe in, whatever you do, it's fine. It's it's all good. Just be true to yourself. Find your truth. Isn't that convenient? It's very, very convenient that you don't actually have to do anything. Um, so I, I hope you're starting to see kind of where these things start to come apart, how these foundational issues are just filled with crazy contradictions and, and uh, massively unbiblical errors. Um, but for some reason, they still want to attach the Bible and the term Christianity to this belief system, which is really crazy. But... Modern Christians, especially the young, the younger generation, are flocking to this. Now, there's a couple of authors. Um, there, there's some books that you might be interested in reading. One of them is uh, Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. Uh, uh, very well done. She actually has a really good podcast I'm going to reference a little bit later. I really recommend you checking it out. She does a great job with this. Um, and, uh, and, and she basically talks about her time in the progressive church and kind of how it, how it affected her and what she had to do to get out. The other one is, is this book here, The Grand Illusion by David Young. He does... He does a fantastic job breaking down the history of the movement and kind of the different things they believe. He has a couple of views I don't necessarily go in line with. He, he believes that the progressive Christian movement is actually on its way out. Um, I don't I don't necessarily ascribe to that. I, I think the younger generation just isn't in leadership yet. So I th- I, I think there, there's as as this the, the older generation of church leadership begins to step out. I think you're going to see more of this actually working its way into into the church, not not less. But uh, other other than that, you know, we don't have to agree on everything. We just see things a little bit differently. But he does a brilliant job breaking this down. Um, so I, I really recommend those books to you. So, um, but these are the easy things, you know. Progressive theology tends to get introduced. Uh, you don't just start a Christian. You don't start a progressive Christian church. No one, no one, no one does that. What ends up happening is someone with progressive views gets into a church and they start 
seeding it among people. They start at you know, as Christians, we should be taking better care of the environment. Yeah, yeah, we we should. Yeah, that's that's right, we should. And so we start we start getting into these social issues, which are still important, but they they don't get you to heaven. They don't they don't save your soul. They don't they don't they don't uh, they don't actually create anything between you and God. They're 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 not eternally useful. They're they're temporally useful. So you end up with this. Um, so what ends up happening is they become very, very subtle as they get introduced. So what I want to do, um, uh, spend a couple of minutes, I want to go over two arguments or two beliefs that this group will have that you'll start to see in conversations. These, these are ways people may begin to try to introduce you to progressive Christian values. And uh, the important thing for us is not to just uh, to not to just argue with these people that's that's hardly useful the thing that we should be doing is learning how to spot these things and helping people see the errors in their ways you know most people if you just point out why this doesn't work you can usually bring them back to 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 a degree of biblical accuracy um but if we don't point these things out we're not we're not helping anybody so the most common fallacy that you're going to find in this movement is the devaluing of scripture Okay, the devaluing of scripture as our absolute authority. Uh, so um, you're going to hear uh, you're going to hear things. Um, well, it, here's basically a root of this. You find people who uh, they don't just and they, they don't just want to just they don't want to just tell you to just stop reading your Bible. Oh, the Bible's a bunch of useless garbage. Don't don't worry about that. It's not what they're doing. They get in and basically they want to hang on to certain parts of their life or they want to hang on to certain relationships. They want to hang on to views that people have and they don't want to have to confront someone about the sin in their life because, you know, that's mean and we're supposed to be accepting, right? So you hear phrases like this. Um, I know what the Bible says about sexuality, but well, you know, these are really nice people. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're committed to one another and so I'm sure God understands. Uh, God does understand. God understands that this is still sinful because that's what his word says. Uh, how about this one? Um, I know that the Bible talks about hell, but my Jesus, how many times have you heard that from people? My Jesus would never condemn people to hell. How about this one? God is bigger than his book. God is so big that he goes beyond the boundaries of the Bible. These sound great. They sound very accepting. They sound very welcoming. There's even a tiny bit of truth in, in, in each of them. Tiny, tiny bit. Not enough, just a tiny bit. You hear things like, you're a better Christian because you're so upset, you're so accepting now. And you're a good, you're, you know, you're a better Christian now because you're not so judgmental. Uh, people like Todd White will say things like, man, God just thinks you're awesome. God, you know, he loves you. You're amazing. You're, you're, you know, God, God just thinks you're the most amazing thing ever. Um, all of which are true. All of those statements are true. Every time I hear, hear, see video clips of him on the, on the street doing that, uh, you, you can't really argue because all those things are true. God does think you're awesome. He does love you and he does think you're amazing. But God also knows that you are a lost sinner, that you need repentance. That you need to uh, you 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 need the teachings of, of you need the teachings of sanctification that are only found in the Bible. You need to repent and turn from the sin, or you're, what? Your only thing that's going to end up happening is you're going to be one of those amazing people that God loves who are still in hell. 
See the, the the fact that God thinks you're awesome, the fact that God loves you, the fact that 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 God thinks you're that you're you're amazing, you're one of His creations. That's irrelevant. That doesn't mean that you're going to heaven unless you unless you confront the sin in your life and you repent and you accept uh, Christ, the the lordship of Christ. You're you don't receive the gift. You don't actually even receive the grace. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, right? God loves you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We usually stop right there. We love that part. Read down. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through him, might be saved. And the next verse is the hardest one. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe in him is condemned already. See, it's not God that does the, that does the condemning. We do it through our unbelief. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's just that simple. Now, this claim of the devaluing of Scripture comes in a couple different ways. Uh, probably the, the the most recognizable way is is this: the Bible contains the Word of God, but it's not actually the Word of God. This is this is the the view of people like Andy Stanley. Um, the the people who adhere this view tend to look at Scripture from a purely historical uh, viewpoint. Uh, the sticking point for them is that the book was written by men, so how could it be God's word, right? You might also hear people say that uh, God or Jesus never wrote a book, so it's not God's word; it's just man's word about God. Okay, um, the chief complaint here among these groups is um, is that is the term divinely inspired. They don't like the term divinely inspired because once you throw in divinely inspired uh, or written through the leading of the Holy Spirit, now you have something you really, really can't argue with. It becomes very, very difficult to argue with that idea that this is divinely inspired because if it's divinely inspired, then it actually is the Word of God. So they don't like these. Uh, these these statements. Um, the idea is that the Bible is just, especially the Old Testament, is just a collection of moral stories and old Hebrew myths. Now, I'm going to show you a, uh, a clip here. I think it's about a minute and a half long by uh, by Andy Stanley, where he actually outlines this. Now, if you're not familiar with who Andy Stanley is, he's Charles Stanley's son. He's also the senior pastor of North Point Community Church in Atlanta, um, and he is one of the leading people for the, basically, um, for the letting go of the entire Old Testament and only focusing on things that talk about Jesus. He doesn't believe that the Old Testament has any actual value or that any truth value at all. You'll hear it from his own mouth. Here you go. I think that we have done previous generations, especially of children and high school students, a terrible disservice by the way we talk about the Bible. I remember my freshman English class at Georgia State University. We were talking about literature. It was a, it was a literature class. And one of the pieces of literature was the Bible. And my teacher was not an anti-religious person, but began to talk about the myth, the creation myth, other creation myths. And without meaning to, began to slowly dismantle the faith of every single person in there who had grown up in church. When she was finished, all of us were convinced that there are many creation myths. The story of Adam and Eve is a creation myth. It's one of many. Let's move on to the next topic. Well... Because of the way the scripture had been presented to me, and probably everybody in that class, it's a house of cards. So as soon as you pull out one piece of the Bible to say, this is a myth, well then immediately it's like, well what else in there 
isn't it? Mm -hmm. The foundation of our faith is not the Scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? That's always the issue. The Scripture is simply a collection of ancient documents that tells us that story. So you see there's tiny bits of truth there and massive, huge pieces of of in, uh, inaccurate lies. So when you think about this, one of the, you get towards the end when he says, you know, the, the, the Old Testament is myth, the creation is a myth, Adam and Eve is a myth, there's a bunch of other myths in there. Just pull all that stuff out, and he says the only thing that matters is who is Jesus. Well, here's the problem. There is only one place in history where you actually understand who Jesus is. And that's the same Bible that he's just saying that you can't trust because it's all myth. Now, if you want to know, if, if you want to actually qualify who Jesus is, then you have to actually go back to that same Old Testament that he's saying that you can't trust because it is the Old Testament that tells us why Jesus came. It is the Old Testament that tells us where Jesus was supposed to be born, how he was supposed to be born, when he was going to be born, how long his ministry was going to last, what the pur purpose of his ministry was going to be, what the purpose of the sacrifice is going to be, how sin is atoned for, all of the elements of the life of Christ that have any lasting value to a believer— are found in the Old Testament. They are realized in the gospel, which, by the way, is the end of the Old Testament as well as the beginning of the New Testament. But you can't understand who Jesus is without the Old Testament that he's actually telling you that you can't trust. You see the circular reasoning there? It's 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 ridiculous to think that this is, this is actually what's happening. And at the same time, uh, the Bible over 3,800 times claims to be the very word of God. 3,800 times it claims to be the word of God through phrases like, thus saith the Lord. And then you got that pesky book, 2 Timothy, that tells us this. All scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, just before we move on to this, I want you, I want you to realize that what, what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not just talking about the New Testament. Paul is talking about the entire Old Testament that Andy Stanley was just telling you you can't trust. Because that's the scriptures that Paul would have had. All scripture is God breathed, is, is, uh, uh, is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scripture is the foundation of our faith. Because without the scripture, there's nothing, there's no foundation for anything else. Even if you only take this to mean the Old Testament, you still can't eliminate any of the teachings of the New Testament because the New Testament is simply the Old Testament realized, put into practice. It's what the, what the New Testament is. The, the teachings are the same. The, the moral applications are all the same. Uh, and the book of Revelation by itself contains its own warning about adding or removing things from it. You know, so no matter how hard you try, you can't get, you can't get away from the simple truth that the written word of God is the only absolute standard. There is, there's no other standard by which we by which we live, by which we are judged. There is no other process. There's nothing else that's there that we would be applying ourselves to. That's it. It's simply the word of God. But they don't like that because that means that means there's standards that and, and there's there's uh, there's lifestyles that they're going to have to be um, they're, they're going to have to bring to people that are against the word of God. 
And the last thing a progressive, a progressive Christian wants to do is to tell someone that they actually have to conform to the Word of God. And uh, instead, they'd like to tell you that the Word of God will conform to them. It's a really sad reality, but that's the one they have. So the, the last one we're going to do here, and then I promise it won't be done, is this. It's more important to be spiritually minded than to be scripturally minded. This goes back to, I think it's uh, point number five in the progressive Christian playbook, uh, where it says it's there's more value in questioning than in absolutes. Hmm. So we need to be more spiritually minded <clears throat> than scripturally minded. And this plays out in a couple different ways. I'm going to move towards the way that the NAR tends to apply it uh, because it's a little bit more applicable to the to, to more of the charismatic circles that that that, um, that we're more familiar with. So <laughs> the most common misuse of this. Uh, it c- comes from a twisting of a scripture in John 16. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's unfortunately, now Bill Johnson tends to come at this idea of being spiritually, being spiritually minded is more value, valuable than being scripturally minded. He comes at it from a couple of different ways. I want to show you a clip where he basically says the same thing in three different ways. And if you if you listen, what he's saying here is that, that scripture is, is good but leading, be, being led by the Spirit is better. So you'll you'll see here see that here in just a second. It's theologically immoral to allow an Old Testament revelation of God's nature usurp and surpass the clear manifestation of the Father's nature as found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I I, I think it's interesting that the Bible doesn't include a list of the apostles' teaching because I think I think. There are things that are always true, but there are also things that he is saying now that he wasn't emphasizing in a previous season. It's our connection with the Spirit of God that makes it possible. So it's difficult to expect the same fruit of the early church when we value a book they didn't have more than the Holy Spirit they did have. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. So did you hear that last part? Now, I've used these clips before. Some of you have seen them before. But the basic idea is the same, that what you think you're getting from, from the Holy Spirit is more valuable than what God had his prophets write down in his book. Now, in that second clip, he said that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to him that the, that the, the Bible doesn't contain a list of the apostles' teachings. Now, every time I hear that, I want to pull my hair out because it's, it's ridiculous. The Bible, the New Testament especially, is the list of the apostles' teachings. It actually is. They, they actually put it in books. They actually wrote it down so that we would have it for all time. It's there. But he doesn't want to see that. He wants to have permission to do whatever he wants, and all he has to do is pull out the Holy Spirit card, and then no one else will, 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 uh, uh, will, will bother challenging him. Now, first thing we need to do is take a look at the scripture um, that actually gets twisted to allow this view to happen. Uh, and that comes from John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13, and we're gonna, it's, it reads like this. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Okay, so this is Jesus. Jesus had just gone through a very long list of the things that are going to happen to the apostles. Um, now he is he has he has not uh, he has not been put 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 to death yet. He has not risen. This is all before this is happening, and he's going through saying these people want to kill you. They're gonna things are gonna get bad. You're gonna get kicked out of the synagogue. Like all these things are happening, and then finally he gets to here and he says, "I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now." They were probably pretty bummed at this particular point in time. Then he says, however, when he, okay, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
that sounds good, right? Um, for, uh, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. That is awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. The idea here is that Jesus is saying that there is knowledge and understanding about God that he has not given his disciples yet, which is true. There was understanding that he didn't give them yet, and that understanding was what he was going to be doing on the cross. That was what they were not able to hear yet. But here, here's the problem. This is where this becomes very twisted. The first issue, when people, uh, what people say is that at this point, Jesus is telling us that there are things that were not given during that time that are only given through the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can get those truths is through the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to do it because they're not written anywhere. Okay. First issue with that is this. In order to actually believe that, you have to believe that the Bible is incomplete. You have to believe that God's word is incomplete. Now, this goes back to the devaluing of Scripture, believing that it was, you know, it's just the word of men. It's just stuff, stuff of men, no, no big deal. Uh, it doesn't have to have anything in it. It's really, it's just a bunch of myths and moral stories anyway. It doesn't actually have timeless application. You have to first believe that the Bible is incomplete. Now, I'm sorry, that's, that's an issue. As a Christian, that's an issue. The writings of the Gospels and the writings of Paul do not contain, uh, this is the idea. They, they believe that the, the writings of the Gospels and the writings of Paul do not contain the fullness of God's teaching. Now, this is the obvious and slightly hilarious part to this is the people trying to put forward this idea are using a gospel to do it. They're actually taking a scripture from a, from the gospel and saying that that scripture in the gospel tells me that the gospels aren't complete, that the writings of the New Testament aren't complete, that God's word given to us by its own admission through the leading of the Holy Spirit is incomplete. Am I the only person who finds that ridiculous? The second issue here is that Jesus is telling us here, <laughs> this is the belief, this is the, this is the thing that's, that's the wrong application. They believe that Jesus is telling us here that, the, that only those who listen to the Holy Spirit will have the whole truth. See, there are things that, are, that, that the Bible does not contain. And only those who listen to the Spirit will have those truths. The rest of the people, those of us who 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 are you know stuck in that that book, that that paper abstract, that thing we call the Bible, that collection of writings from from all through history that teach us about the character and nature of God, that those of us who only rely on the Scriptures, we only have part of the truth. We're not as enlightened as the superior others who have been given some super spiritual knowledge that no one else has. So you have to have you have to have whatever they believe is the spirit in order to access this. This tends to lead to to a a unfortunate superiority complex. And you see this in a lot of these movements. I've heard people like Bill Johnson and Todd White talk about their amazing connection with God that they wish other people had. They're so super spiritual that they don't even have temptation in their life. God, Satan can't even come near them. That's how amazingly anointed they are. That 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 is the opposite of humility. Okay. Here's the underlying problem. At what point, okay? At what point does pulling out the Holy Spirit card end? If all I have to do to be believed is say the Holy Spirit told me. 
or God spoke to me and, or this is what I was given, or I dreamed, or I saw this, or I've seen this number a hundred different times. So God, that means this. Whatever you want to do, at what point in time does that end? At what point in time do we actually have to have something that's val- that that, ha- that you can validate? Something you can actually, I don't know, prove a little. If all I have to do is pull out the Holy Spirit card and everything that I say is supposed to be believed, there's a problem. Because the groups that do this, I prayed, uh, and you hear this a lot, I prayed about it and I have peace. That's great that you prayed about it and you have peace. That doesn't make it true. I mentioned this last Sunday. There are dozens of people that proclaim themselves to be prophets that all last year claimed that they knew exactly who was going to win the election, that Trump was going to win, that all this stuff was going to happen. They make prediction after prediction after prediction, and they say, God spoke to me and told me, thus saith the Lord. This is what happened. Guess what? None of it happened. So their Holy Spirit card apparently has expired. Are we to believe that anyone who calls himself a Christian, who decides to say, the Spirit told me, is to be believed without question? And of course the answer is no. Um, so what about when the Spirit is contradicting the Bible? Because you see this quite often. We're going to get to this in more detail down the road. It's getting a little late tonight, so I don't want to keep you here all night. When people are teaching things that are against, actually go against the Scriptures. You heard Bill Johnson mention it twice. Twice. When he said it was theologically immoral to allow an Old Testament revelation of God. So that means a truth about God. He says it's theologically immoral to let a, to let a truth about God given to us in the Old Testament force us to not believe something we want to believe about the character of Christ found in the New Testament. So the basic idea is if something about Jesus, if you get an idea about Jesus that contradicts a solidly established fact about God from the Old Testament, then we're supposed to throw out the Old Testament because that's no longer applicable and just go with whatever we think we want to believe about Jesus in the New Testament. That is what he's saying there. And that second clip when he said that there are things that are always true, but there are things that God's saying now, what he's trying to say there is that because because he believes he's an apostle, that he has been given some level of authority, that he can speak for God and he can speak new scripture into uh, uh, into into being and he can bring new truth because he has that kind of authority because the Spirit told him, even though it goes against the teachings of the Bible. But what has always been true You see how this begins to work. You devalue scripture, you increase and inflate your own spiritual ego, and then you throw in this Holy Spirit card that allows you to change and move anything you want, anytime you want. All you have to do is say, the Spirit told me, I prayed about it, and I have peace. Well, what if I was to say, the Spirit told me that all those people are wrong, and I've prayed about it, and I have peace? Does that make me more right than everybody else? Now, the truth is that we are warned about this in multiple places. In 2 Timothy, we're told that all Scripture is God-breathed and given, to, uh, and given by the inspiration of God, right? We also know from John 5, 46 and 47, says this, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Jesus is saying that if you believe what Moses wrote about me, then you'd believe me, because what R- Moses wrote about me is true. Jesus is validating the Old Testament right here. He says, but if you do not believe his writings, meaning Moses, How do you believe my words? 
She said, you won't believe what was written to me in the, in, in the Old Testament, the word of God given to you. Then how can you actually say that you believe me at all? You can't. He's validating the word of God. At the same time, you get people who love to quote this. 1 John 3, 24. Now he who keeps his commands abides in him. Excuse me. Uh, actually, I got these out of, out of order. I'll go back to that in a second. Uh, John 4, uh, 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says, uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. What you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Ouch. This almost sounds like it would agree with the Holy Spirit card idea. All I gotta do is test the Spirit, and the Spirit doesn't, doesn't argue that Jesus came 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 to the earth and then, then we're good right but then you got to ask the rest of the question how is it that we're supposed to actually test the spirit you can't actually sit down and ask the spirit so do you believe that jesus came came to earth in the flesh uh, it doesn't work quite that simple okay the only way that we have to test the spirit is by using the actual word of god now if you go backwards one more verse uh this is the one that i i messed up i apologize uh there we go 324 says, now he who keeps his commands, this is the verse just above the section we just read, it says, now he who keeps his commands, capital H, meaning the commands of God, abides in him, and he in him. So it's those who keep the commands of God that abide in God, and God abides in them. Now, now listen carefully to the next part. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So we are given the abiding spirit by following his commands. Where do we get those commands? Where do we find those commands? How do we understand those commands? They're written in the word of God. That's where we do the testing. That next part where it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. What did he just say above it? And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You can't say just that Jesus came. You have to follow his commands. Those commands are found in the word of God. It is very clear that he is give, that the spirit he has given us will never violate his commands. And his commands are only found in one place, and that is the written word of God. So when people say, I need the spirit more than I need the Bible, you are fooling yourself. You are absolutely fooling yourself, and you're moving yourself away from a right relationship with God. If the Spirit of God in you at any point in time, or the, or whatever spirit you're listening to, is leading you away from the teachings of the Bible, or making you believe that you have found some sort of secret knowledge that nobody else has, because they're not spiritual enough, you are fooling yourself, and you're fooling all those who you, you, you give that particular lie to. The Spirit of God will never contradict anything that you find in Scripture. So yes, we are supposed to align ourselves with the Bible. It goes all the way back to the beginning. The whole purpose of the church is to introduce people to God, to bring them to a spiritual relationship with God where, they, where, where, where Christ has given lordship in their life, and their life will change and be brought into alignment with God. And that alignment is best understood through his word. Think about the, find, the foundational aspects of the progressive movement that we've just, just talked about tonight. We'll be talking about it more in coming weeks. Um, but remember, these are going to be, this is the last live night. We'll be, these will be pre-recorded down the road. Um, so I, I, you know, these will be released every Wednesday night because obviously between meals, between Sundays, it's Wednesday. So 
here are some things that we, we basically covered tonight, that Jesus is good, but he's only one of many ways. There's first lie, that all faith is the same, there's no one true way. Bible tells us that that's a lie. That all is God and all is good. Bible tells us that that's a lie. That the Bible is only a book and not meant to be used as any sort of absolute standard. The Bible itself tells us that's a lie. Only those who are spiritually minded can know the real truths of, truths of God. The Bible tells us that's a lie. You want to know the truths of God? Read your Bible. It's that simple. This particular movement, I, I, I believe Elisa Childers when she says that this is more dangerous to Christianity than atheism. This particular movement, I believe, is more, I, I believe she's right, is more dangerous to true Christianity than atheism is because it's almost right. It's just, it's just wrong enough to keep you out of heaven. Still makes you feel good, but it doesn't bring you into a lasting relationship with Christ. This is so sad. The movement is not only an ungodly twisting of the truth, it is specifically, and I think about this, it is specifically designed to play into basic human ideals and basic human desires and emotions. It is specifically designed to do that. Do you think the enemy is not crafty? That, that our enemy is not, is not actually looking for ways to try to get our attention? He knows what's going on in the world today. He's playing on that. There is a real enemy that wants your soul and wants to keep you from heaven. That is what the nature of the Antichrist is. It's, it's, it's the Antichrist. It's against God, the opposite of what Jesus is. He doesn't have to, this is, this is a funny thing people say, oh, it's not like I'm a Satanist. Satan doesn't need you to get, be loyal and serving him. He just needs to keep you from serving God. That's the only goal. He's not trying to get you on his side. He doesn't have a side. He's just trying to keep you from actually finding the truth. I mentioned the Alicia Childers podcast. I, and uh, on it, uh, that she did a, um, uh, a broadcast of five things. Uh, what was it? Five ways progressive Christianity and the New Age spirituality are kind of the same thing. That was a great podcast. So you, should, you should listen to it. But in there, she mentioned this, and this is what I'm going to close with tonight. Um, I think she's right on with this, uh, and I think it outlined, outlines things very, very well. And it says, it says, progressive Christians may think they're being cutting edge and relevant by stepping outside the bounds of orthodoxy. But in reality, they are simply falling for the ideology that has kickstarted every false religion since the fall of man. Absolutely accurate. Absolutely accurate. This is nothing more than glorified false teachings. This is a horrible twisting and mangling of the Christian faith. Our goal is to come back to a bibliocentric, historic Christian faith, where Jesus is our Lord, we are fully aware of our sin, we have repented in turn, and we spend our days trying to draw closer to him and serve one another. This is not difficult. But for some reason, this particular view is making massive headways. And uh, we'll get into what might be some of the reasons down the road. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I really appreciate all of you who are here on here on the live stream. Um, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to, to down the road, but uh, like I said, this is the last time for a while I'll be able to do anything live, um, but uh, the videos will be, will be put up. They'll all link back to the YouTube page, uh, but they will be linked into, the, into Facebook as well as the Podbean, um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Spotify, all those. All that will still be there. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want to help me grow the channel, then uh, forward these links off to other people. Um, share, comment, 
like, subscribe, uh, but all hopefully back to the YouTube page. That would be really fantastic. I would appreciate that. Um, so Lord bless you. Have a fantastic night and bye-bye.